Have you ever worried about something? <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Avery raised her hand. What are you, 11, right? Nine, 10, I don't know. Nine, okay, cool. Nine years old, she's got worries, she's stressed out. Uh, have you ever had, but really, I mean, we got to be honest with ourselves, right? Holidays are coming up, and this seems like, for whatever reason, a time where anxiety and stress uh, can just weigh on you. Have you ever had those little concerns, uh, those things that are weighing on your shoulders? Have you ever lost sleep over uh, having something on your mind? I'm a person that is prone to anxiety, and uh, especially when it comes to my kids, and if you ask Tori what my number one fear was, there's a good chance that she would tell you, my number one fear is that my kids will be hit by a car. I don't know why. It's just always been a thing that has worried me to death. I'll walk out in front of cars all day long. It doesn't scare me one bit. In fact, I'm a little bit worried by the fact that I'm not scared of walking in front of cars. But... When you put my children in the mix, all of a sudden, if I'm not holding, my, my son's nine years old, if I'm not holding his hand in a parking lot somewhere, I'm a nervous wreck. In fact, Target's one of the places that especially, uh, you know, makes me a little bit nervous. All those soccer moms buzzing in for uh, Christmas decorations, got one thing on their mind, and uh, I'm just scared that my kid's going to get flattened, right? Because there's something so horrifyingly final about getting hit by a car, right? There's not much more you can do. It just seems like an end in and of itself. And we have a lot to be worried about in this life. It seems like the whole world is out to get us and to kill us, and everything is bad for us anymore, right? Even the things that we think are healthy can sometimes have poison in them, right? LaCroix, anyone know about that, right? They found out this healthy drink accidentally somehow had like rat poison in it or something like that. Like even the times we're trying to do what's right and trying to, to uh, live in a cautious way, there's still things to worry about. Now last week we talked about how we can rejoice even in tough situations because we know the sovereign ruler of creation that knows everything from beginning to the end of time and everything in between, and we know the person that is at work, the Lord is at hand. But how do we continue? It's, it's easy sometimes to get to a good place, but then anxiety and worry and confusion and questions begin to creep back into our minds. So how do we continue to remember that God is in control even in those uncertain times when you can't shake the anxiety, worry, and fear. Well, that's what we'll be in Philippians 4.4 today. Last week we read uh, the first verse here, and then we'll see what it says next. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. And here it goes on. It says this, do not be anxious about anything. All right, I'm supposed to rejoice always, and I'm never supposed to be anxious. That seems a really easy thing to do, right? But it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be named known unto God. So Paul tells this church of Philippi, don't be anxious 
about anything. But wait, these people are facing persecution, right? Rejection by their families, poverty. What do you mean don't be anxious about anything? That seems like a tall order. But why is he saying don't be anxious about anything? We talked about that last week. Why? Because there is not a situation, there is not a time when God is not there and equipped with infinite knowledge of what is going on in your life. There is never a time when you have to tell something to God that he doesn't already know about you. Matt Chandler says this. He says, we need to get out of the mindset that the future is a thing that God knows and understand that the future is somewhere that God already is. He stands outside of time. He doesn't just know about the past and is in the present and knows the future. No, he stands outside of it all, reigning over all of it. So what do we have to be anxious about? God is already there. We worry about tomorrow. We worry about retirement. But God is already there. Matthew 6, 26 uh, Digs deep downer in how, downer, digs further down in how we don't have to be anxious. Uh, verse 26 says this. I love this. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns. Although that'd be fun to see, right? These birds that are out there farming and like putting everything in a barn. They don't do that though, right? They don't ride tractors. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. And you're not more valuable than they. Don't you think you have more value to God than a bird? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not crowned and arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive tomorrow and thrown into the oven uh, tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? And what shall we wear? This verse says God cares about the birds of the field. He cares about the lilies. He cares about the grass. He clothes them. He gives them what they need. How much more is God going to give you what you need. See, it's hard not to be anxious about things. It's hard not to worry. How do we learn not to live in that anxiety? And Paul's going to tell us some steps how we can be sure to avoid those worries. But before we move on, let me make something abundantly clear. There is a big difference between clinical anxiety and spiritual anxiety. See, sometimes uh, Christians don't get help because they believe clinical anxiety, a physical problem, a physiological problem, could be a sign of spiritual failure, or they fear the stigma in the faith community that's associated with anxiety disorder. Uh, but Christians are not immune to anxiety disorders. See, one tragic myth is that, uh, that it persists in churches sometimes is the idea that anxiety problems are uh, a, a source of uh, spiritual nature. And many Christians sincerely believe that a person should not experience uh, anxiety disorders if he or she just has enough faith to trust in God. And that's simply just not true. 
Now, anxiety uh, disorders can affect a person's spiritual life, and spiritual problems can be woven into those problems as well. But to say a person with anxiety disorder should simply just trust God more is like telling a woman with a broken bone that she should just have greater faith and she will be well. Now, we wouldn't scold a person or throw a person uh, out of context Bible verses if a person had a broken bone, right? Just have a little bit more faith and just start walking, right? You'll be better. No, that wouldn't work. Why? Because we love our fellow believers and we want them to have the help that they need when they're tormented by an anxiety disorder. And in a similar vein, some Christians disparage the use of medication in treating anxiety disorders uh, or mental health problems. But we would never dismiss a diabetic who takes insulin as someone who obviously lacks trust in God. And the same way we shouldn't uh, look at those that take medication uh, for anxiety as somehow deficient in their faith. So if you know someone that's dealing with those type of disorders and they feel like the use of medication is somehow sinful or evidence of a lack of faith, uh, faith, urge them to reconsider because for some people, that medicine is the only lifeline that they have, allowing them to function normally and helping them to reconnect with others and with God and in ways that they would have never uh, been able to be possible. So I wanted to make that abundantly clear before we move on, that if you mix up spiritual anxiety and clinical anxiety, you will end up using the wrong treatment to combat the wrong problem. But today, we're primarily going to focus on spiritual anxiety. So Paul tells us some steps in verse 6, how not to live in anxiety. Verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So here it tells us we've got to go to God in prayer. And that takes discipline, right? To stop worrying and to start praying. To stop thinking about how you can fix the problem and start talking to the person that can fix the problem. Talking to the Father. And next it tells us the type of uh, prayer, which is, it says supplication. And this is a begging prayer, right? God, help me. God, I need you. I trust you. I know that you are good. I know that you are here with me now. And I know that you're going to be here with me tomorrow. And you take your problems to Jesus. And next it tells us to take them with thanksgiving, to, to let our requests be made known unto God. But wait a minute here, we're supposed to take these requests to God, and before God even does anything, we're supposed to be thankful? Yes, absolutely, because we thank God for hearing us, because the creator of the universe is taking time to listen and to hear our prayers. Last week, we talked about how uh, my dad almost died and when my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And praise God, my dad's fine and my mom's in remission. But what if my dad does die, right? What if my mom is still fighting cancer? Am I thankful for those things? Obviously not. But I am thankful that the God that gave me my parents hears my prayers and he loves them and me so much. So remember, this isn't a formula to make God answer your prayer, right? Like, okay, great. One, uh, I, I, I pray. Next Step two is I uh, pray with supplication and then I, I give thanksgiving. Okay, God, now answer my prayer. Get me out of this mess. 
No, that's not how it works. No, this is a formula to rejoice even when God doesn't answer your prayer, even when you don't understand, even when that someone is taken too soon in our opinion. See, these are the ways that we fight anxiety. So we don't have a promise here that God will step in and change all our problems and circumstances. But look what the next uh, verse says. Verse 6 tells us, don't be anxious. Humbly call out to your God in prayer, giving thanks that God hears your your voice and your cry and feels your pain. And then verse 7, we have a promise. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. I love God's promises, right? It's so awesome that we can go to God and say, God, you promised. And if I expect my wife to keep a promise, how much more can I trust that God will keep his promises? Some of us have seen this piece in people's lives before. When they're uh, receiving a bad diagnosis, I saw that in my mom, normally a very anxious person about safety, worried about germs, scared to death of toads, cautious about the little things in life. But early on when we weren't sure uh, whether her breast cancer was in her lymph nodes or not, I remember her telling me, I have peace. I have peace. God is in control. And if he decides to take me home now, I know that he knows what he's doing. Talk about peace that passes all understanding, right? That's not normal. That's not natural. That freedom from anxiety, when death hangs in the balance, it's something that comes from a disciplined prayer life of supplication, crying out to God, and thanksgiving. I saw this uh, type of peace in a man named Dan Eastridge that I knew in Georgia. He was a godly man that had many, many bouts of cancer. But he never wanted to talk about his pain. He always just wanted to talk about Jesus. And Tori and I visited him just a few weeks before he passed away. And he had more peace then in his position than I have in most days. And I don't have anything to worry about. See, the verse says that Jesus is going to keep our hearts and mind and give us peace that passes all understanding. Why? Because we can know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 8 says, finally, brothers, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honorable, whatsoever is just, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, tells us to think on these things. See, Paul tells us to think about some things. And we're going to break down this list of the things that we should dwell on with our minds. This verse tells us that we need to make ourselves think on truth. That's a mental workout of our minds. See, when I have a problem and I have a struggle, I'm a thinker, except for I don't think about the right type of things. I think about the person that's trying to hurt me and all the reasons they're trying to hurt me and all the people that could be involved in this what I'm sure is a giant conspiracy against me and how all these ripple effects from this situation are going to affect other situations. I'm a thinker, but I don't think on the right things. But it doesn't say think on what could happen. No, it says think, dwell, focus on what is true. See, we can't allow ourselves to dwell on what is not true. 
We've got to look for lies in our thinking. And when we spot them, and then we've got to rebuke them, and then we've got to focus on the truth. Because I can hear that little voice in the back of my mom, uh, back of my mind that says, Phil, your mom is diagnosed with cancer. God doesn't love you. We can hear these things, right? But that's not true. That's not true. God made me and saved me from hell, and he knew this moment was going to come. He was already here, and I may not understand, but I know that God loves me. I'm not going to focus on the lie. Instead, I'm going to focus on what I know is true. It says to think on what things are honorable or what things are honest. What kind of things are honest and honorable? There's lots of things that we can think on. Dreams of the future, dreams of a future spouse, goals that you would like to achieve through Christ and what you would love to do for the Lord. What kind of things are dishonorable? Well, the things that we often try and distract ourselves from uh, our anxiety with many times are dishonorable things. We want to go and find uh, comfort in the refrigerator, right? And that extra turkey leg that we don't really need. And we eat that and then all of a sudden, man, okay, I feel a little bit better for a while. Maybe we go to the bottle. We try and forget our problems. Or maybe we go uh, to, to exercise to try and uh, cope with it instead of relying and thinking on true things and honest things and giving those things over to the Lord. We try and find so many other ways to fix our own problems. But don't think on those things. How many times have you worried about something that didn't happen? Probably way more than the times where you worried about things that did happen, right? How many times have you gone back and apologized to God and asked forgiveness from God because the thing that you were so worried about never happened and instead of resting in him and trusting on him, you, you, you worried and you, you didn't have faith? I think we need to look at it that way. We can either trust in our ability or we can trust in God's ability. We can either trust in our thinking or we can trust in God's uh, love for us and that he knows what's best. No, instead of all those dishonorable things that we can think on, it tells us to instead think on whatever is just Think on whatever is pure, not impure things. Whatever is lovely, not whatever is ugly. Whatever is of good report or excellent, not just mediocre things. It says if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, think on these things. Because this is the hope that we have in Christ. This picture of a mature Christian. But see, I, I, from being around the church very long, I, I don't really feel that Christians are that much ahead of the rest of the world with anxiety and worry issues, right? I feel like we have just as many. We're worried about the government's going to do this, and we're worried about this, and we're worried about money problems, and we're worried about what we're going to do around the church. We're worried about our relationships. The Bible gives us some steps, not just to avoid our problems and to be delusional. No one's talking about that. No one's talking about... Uh, walking around and whistling Dixie when you get fired. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about that you know the one that made you and so that you can have faith. I tell Noah often, he, he can get overwhelmed pretty easy. Sometimes it's about small things and a little problem. The other day it was a Lego that he had lost. He's got this like 2,000-piece Lego set. It's a diner, and it's got, like, all pancakes and everything in it. It's amazing, the detail that's in it. But he lost one little tiny piece. And I kept telling him, we were busy. I couldn't help him look for it. But I said, Noah, do you trust that Daddy is going to help fix your problem? Noah, you know me. 
you know that I don't give up. You don't know how many times I've thrown footballs up in, in trees to knock something out of a tree. I told Noah from early on, I am, when Waymans never quit, we never give up. I'm going to stay here till my arm falls off to get this plane that you threw up in the tree out of this tree. And I told him, you know me, Noah. You know that you can trust me. You know that you can have faith. Do you know that daddy wants to fix your problems and I'm not going to let this go? And he said, yes, I know that. So later on, we went and found that piece and he, I said, look, no, see, you can trust me because I want Noah to know that if he can trust me, how much more can he trust God? And, and if you would just rely on God in that way and to trust that God's gotten me out of these problems before. God's gotten me to this point. I'm not dead yet. I'm not, you know, out there suffering. God's given me help over and over and over and over again. And this is the hope that we have in Christ. See, often all we talk about is the hope that we have in the next life. But you have hope in this life because you have a person that loves you. And because of that, we can rely on Christ. And because we have a God uh, that cares about us. And because of that, we can be a person who understands that it's reasonable to trust in God and rely on God when our world is falling apart because we know who God is. We can be a person who doesn't dwell on anxiety but instead goes to God in prayer and supplication, begging God with thankfulness over a God that hears you and knows you and loves you. These are people that can go to the Lord and hand that anxiety over to the Lord and trust him to do with it what he sees fit. And in their mind, they're constantly telling their mind, no, that's a lie. I can't think that way. That's not true. Or the very best, I know it's not true yet. That's just something I think might happen. Instead, I'm going to focus on this thing that I know is true. And dwell on honorable, excellent, lovely, just, pure things, rejecting the lies and the impurity. And then verse 9, I love verses like this. It goes on and says, <clears throat> What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, right? Paul just got, done, got, just got done telling him all these things to do, and then he feels like it's necessary to go ahead and say, do it, do it, you know? Get, get, work this thing out. And it says, the God of peace will be with you. If you learn these things and receive these things and hear these things that you've seen in me, practice them and the God of peace will be with you. So these are the steps of supplication, thankfulness, dwelling on the truth and not on lies. So do it now. Work it out. God gives you a promise. If your life is not characterized by peace, God gives us some steps and this isn't just a one-time, you know, I walk through these things and, and then I'll have peace for the rest of my life. No, it's a constant uh, chore that you go through. It's a constant uh, practice that you work into your life, an exercise, a tool, an instrument. It says you work these things out, you do these things. Then the peace of God will be with you. And that's another promise. The peace of God will be with you. Why does Paul have to tell us these things? Because these things aren't natural. You might be here and say, man, I worry so much. 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest with you, we all worry a lot. We all worry way too much. My hair turned gray way too early. It's not completely gray, and you probably can't see it from there, but they're there. I, I, I can see them. Tori can see them. She, she reminds me all the time. But we worry way too much. And Paul has to tell us these things because these things aren't natural, because it's natural for us to listen to the lies in our life. It's natural for us to uh, worry and to, and to trust in our own understanding. And it's not natural to rejoice in trials and to be reasonable when our world's falling apart and to lay down your worry and think on the truth. Those things are not natural. So that's the question here this morning. Is what is your head filled with? What occupies your mind day to day? What worries occupy your time? If I were to add up all the, the life that I have wasted worrying about something that never came to pass, man, I could have had some type of amazing skill, right? I could play the piano by now probably or something. Imagine all the life that we waste worrying. So what worry occupies your time? What injustice against you grips your thoughts? What impurity clouds your mind? What, what type of ugliness is in your heart? What lies are you allowing to creep into your mind that God doesn't listen to me, God doesn't care about me, God doesn't love me, God loves someone else more than me, I'm not his favorite, I'm just the one on the outside, and yeah, maybe he died for me, but it, he doesn't really want to have a relationship with me. We have to battle these lies. And the only way we can battle these lies is by consciously practicing dwelling on the truth. Some of us have today no peace in our hearts and minds. And we need to come and lay it down, to call out to God in prayer, begging for God to step in, thanking God for listening and hearing our prayers. And then as we get up, we begin to actively attack those lies in our mind that we have believed for so long. And then we do this again and again. And again, till the peace that passes all understanding floods our hearts and minds. What have you learned? What have you received? What have you heard? Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. That is a promise that you can hold on to today. So what are you anxious about today? Where do we start? We start with prayer, supplication, crying out to God telling it to Jesus, calling out to Jesus, and realizing the answer isn't inside of me, but it is outside of me. And God promises peace. And then we leave it to him. And we think on true and honest and pure things. With every head bowed and eyes closed, I want you to answer those questions for yourself. What occupies my mind day to day? Am I a person that's prone to worry and anxiety? What worry occupies my time? What lies am I letting creep into my mind? God doesn't love me. God doesn't care. He doesn't listen to me. He doesn't hear my prayers. You've got to fight lies with truth. We're going to take a minute right now. I know it might be a little bit awkward, well, that's just where we live today for us. 
you know, just kind of sitting there and being silent is an awkward thing because we're bombarded constantly by messages. But just take some time to search your heart and mind for what you're anxious about, what you're worried about, what you're cautious about, where your heart and mind are dwelling. And then start that process crying out to God about it. Thanking him for listening to you. And asking for help to dwell on the right things, the true things, the honest things, the pure things. And not to dwell on lies. You can stay in your seat there and and take some time to reflect and to meditate on what God's spoken to your heart about. Or you can come down here and use this altar. Something special about that. Something cool about walking away. I don't know what it is. But as the band plays, you deal with what God dealt with you about.